The Sound of Young America is supported in part by Smith Micro Software, makers of Stuff It Deluxe, designed to move files simply and securely wherever customers want them to go, for Mac and PC, online at stuffit.com. And Ask Metafilter, thousands of life's little questions answered, online at ask.metafilter.com. Hey, I'm Scott from Seattle. I'm Holly from Chicago. Hey, I'm Josh Stevenson from Moscow, Idaho. The Sound of Young America is produced independently and supported by listeners like you and me. You should support the show like I did. Just visit MaximumFun.org slash donate. I'm Jesse Thorne. Live on tape from my house in Los Angeles, it's The Sound of Young America from MaximumFun.org and PRI, Public Radio International. It's the Sound of Young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest is the soul and jazz singer Bilal. His first album came out almost 10 years ago, but when artists like Jay-Z and Dr. Dre are looking for that perfect classic soul voice, something with a little bit of the lightness and agility of jazz, but also the torn emotional quality of soul, they call Bilal. After years of label problems, Bilal has finally followed up his first record with a new one, called Airtight's Revenge. Before I talk to Bilal, let's hear his hit record, Soul Sister, from his first album, Firstborn Second. Soul Sister, from my guest, Bilal. Bilal, welcome to the Sound of Young America. It's great to have you on the show. Oh, yeah, man. How you doing? I'm doing okay. How about you? I heard you were on, a, I heard you were on an overnight flight last night. You look relatively <laughs> clear-eyed. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I can sleep in, in those small uh, seats, so I'm good. You can? Yeah. I, I'm a little guy. So I just curl up. <laughs> as soon as the person in front of me puts their seat back, even like one inch, oh, I yeah. have to go diagonal. Oh, yeah. And it's just a disaster. <laughs> it's absolutely disastrous. Um, you grew up in Philadelphia, which is a city with a really rich musical history. When you were like a teenager, 
did you think of yourself as being part of a sort of Philadelphia musical tradition? Was being from Philly an important part of your identity? Growing up, you know, I was really, uh, man, only, I, I, I didn't really know much music. You know, I grew up, my my younger years, I grew up in, in like a church. Uh, my mom was very religious, and my pops was also religious. He was he was Muslim, though. My mom was Christian. My dad was really into jazz. His best friend uh, named Ben owned like three jazz clubs in Philly, so uh, my dad his whole thing was to get me into jazz because that's his love. So from, I would say from maybe 12 years old through high school, I used to hang out at the jazz clubs in Philly, Zanzibar Blue, uh, Warm Daddies. So that that was a really cool experience. You went to arts high school, right? Was that was that the Philadelphia School of Performing Arts? Mm-hmm. And um, that's where uh, the Roots went. Yeah. Uh, Boys to Men also went there. Mm-hmm. Um, were you sort of aware of that tradition when when you were there? Was there like big pictures of boys to men on every wall? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. But they actually used to uh, come and visit the school often, and so did you know a lot of the alumni. I never saw Amir or um, you know Tariq come, but of, of the roots, yeah. But uh, I, I saw a lot of um, a lot of boys to men, and and Christian McBride, the jazz musician, he used to come and. Uh, you know, give talks and, and uh, jam with the students a lot. So, were you singing, playing piano? What, what were you up to there? Well, I was singing. I was a vocal major at the time, but I, I, I was also playing a little bit and um, singing in the jazz band. I was playing piano and singing in the jazz band back then. Um, I, I remember when your first uh, when your first demo was going around, um, this sort of like five track thing. Um, and I remember people just flipping out. And at one point, um, uh, Questlove from the Roots was it posted on OK Player, his website, like, I have this demo, and it's amazing, and somebody gave it to me, but I don't remember who. <laughs> and um, so tell me a little bit about recording that, recording that first demo. Oh, I recorded that demo in college, like my first year moving to um, moving to New York. I went to um, this school called New School, and uh, I started. I used to do little gigs with Robert Glasper and um, the renowned jazz pianist. Yeah, yeah, and we we actually went to college together. Uh, that's where we met in. Me and him used to do these gigs with the the founder of the school, Arnie Lawrence, at uh, this this club called Sidewalk Cafe, like three in the morning, and the drummer just so happened to be Aaron Colmas, cause uh, from the Spin Doctors, he had uh, he also went to the new school, but he graduated like years before. But his whole thing was playing, you know, and. That was so. It was ironic because uh, we need. I started to get cool with Aaron, and then I found out that he had a whole big studio in his house. So, <laughs> you know, since our gig started three in the three in the morning, uh, I used did to. You, hit, wait, did you know that he was in the Spin Doctors when you started to no. get cool with him, or did you just know him as a guy? I just knew him as the dope drummer. Like his style was so ill. We, used to, I used to just. You know, I I just thought he was just a dope drummer. I you really just thought he know. was Little Miss Can't Be Wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, man, you sound just like Tony Williams, man. 
And then I went to his house. I was like, oh, shit, you're rich. (laughs) 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 And, you know, to stay up, uh, because our gig started so late, um, we would just record in his studio. And that's where the demo came. I want to play a song that appeared on your uh, first record um, that was also on the demo. And it's a a really uh, wild song. Um, It's called Second Child. Let's hear a little bit of it. That was Second Child by my guest, the soul and jazz singer, Bilal. So this was a time when soul music uh, sounded a lot more like Soul Sister, the song that we heard at the beginning of this interview, uh, than it did like Second Child. Um, tell me a little bit about how and, and why you, you wrote and recorded that record. It was really like jazz, but when I was writing back then... Uh, my whole angle was like to fuse infuse jazz into uh what I was doing you know and in the form for me to get in was was uh was r and b like i never really i didn't that wasn't really my uh ultimate goal like I moved to new york to um to really be a jazz singer so I was just finding all way, all different kinds of ways to you know sneak in that jazz sound you know and and also like just free free instrumentation i don't know how to describe it but um you know soul sister was it was produced by rafael sadiq who really brought that soulful sound but you know um second child was that was a song they let me produce on my own so i just you know, I threw the kitchen sink in there. I, I feel like it's, it would be fair to say that you are basically flipping the heck out. Can't swear on the radio. <laughs> but you really go wild. And it reminded me, you know, I, I saw you perform uh, back in those days when the first record was out. You performed on Leno mm-hmm. on The Tonight Show. And um, uh, you really turned it up to 11 to the point where you were like running around the stage just way outside of the range of the cameras. <laughs> they were like trying to follow you down. You were in, running into the house just all over everywhere. Um, when you get an opportunity like uh, performing on The Tonight Show for an audience of several million people, it must have been a choice to say, well, I'm just going to really go wild. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, uh I I just, you know, when I start playing, I just go free. You know, I really don't think about, like, inhibitions anymore. I just, you know, one, I feel like I'm on TV. It's time to make a statement, you know. Um, Even if that statement is a statement that might not get you invited back to TV. shucks. (laughs) I'm, I'm, uh, you know, I'm there. This is me, you know. I don't 
especially back then, I really didn't think about like what <laughs> what the repercussions would be of me going wild. I just do it, you know. At the time, um, you were on Interscope Records, and and you recorded a couple of tracks with Dr. Dre, mm-hmm. um, and you've 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 recorded with uh, Dr. Dre and his sort of extended camp a few times since then. Um, he's sort of legendary for his perfectionism and his really specific aesthetic sense when it comes to sound. What, what's it like to actually be in the studio with him? Oh man, it's dope. You know, but I would recommend everybody bring earplugs. <laughs> he loves to play the music mad loud. Like I remember when I first walked into his studio, I saw all his interns and, and, and uh, his engineers. They had on uh, earplugs. <laughs> That's not something you see in the studio that often. I know, and I didn't know what was going on until Dre walked in, and then, you know, in his studio, usually studios just have, like, three speakers, you know, the two big ones at the top and then the woofer, you know, underneath the board. He had three woofers underneath the board, <laughs> three big speakers at the top, and two tweeters above the the uh, top speakers. And he came in and was like, hell yeah, I want to play you a song, you know, I'm working on that I think this would be great for you. And he turned it to 11, like literally, bam, all the way up. And I'm just, it was the loudest sounding music I've ever heard in my life. It was so loud, I felt it in like my toes. (laughs) And then I look around and I see everybody's earplugs. I'm like, oh, yeah. But Dre's just sitting there like it's just regular. But the ironic thing is, as loud as he turned it up, nothing crackled. Nothing shook. It was just pure adulterated, just loudness of sound. Yeah, I guess that's why he's so dope, you know, so legendary. Let's hear a little bit of uh, Fast Lane, which was uh, the single that you released that was produced by Dr. Dre. Fastlane, produced by Dr. Dre for my guest, Bilal. 
So those couple of uh, Dr. Dre produced songs on that first record were super heavy. I mean, you can hear how heavy Fastlane is. And um, there was another one called Sally that was another favorite of mine and just a really heavy record. Um, That's sort of in contrast to the idea of uh, being a jazz singer. Uh, what led you to go in that in that direction of that just super dense, heavy funk? Well, I look at everything like the blues, you know, and um, it's just a, a two chord blues. So I just went Curtis Mayfield, you know. I tried to tell a dark story of the of the hood, really, you know, um, and just really just an overview of of um, of darkness. <laughs> You know, I try to tell a cool story over over those type of landscapes. Same thing with Sally. You know, um, when when he first gave me the track, it was just one chord. So, you know, just me in my head, I thought this is like a blues. You know, just one a one chord blues. So I kind of wrote it in that kind of vibe, and and uh, just wrote another story. I just. That's the thing I do over over big beats like that. I, I just try to tell a story, you know, like a like a like a MC would, you know. Cincinnati all the way to Cacolet. Unleash that fire. That pips this side. All that time to turn trick. What was running through her head was get the licks. was the Dr. Dre production, Sally, by my guest, Bilal. It took years for um, you to, you and Interscope Records to get together your, uh, what was to have been your sophomore album. Um, and it's an album that ended up never coming out, although it was, it was widely bootlegged. Um, what was that process like for you did did interscope have ideas about um you know what you could be in the in the sort of music marketplace that weren't <laughs> that weren't running parallel to what you were thinking of in terms of what you could be in the uh uh music artistic place i just really wanted to um break out of the normal way of writing tunes you know i felt like at that time, uh, everything was contrived, you know, the way I was doing things, the way I was hearing things, the way I was 
um, hearing other people's music, uh, I just felt like it was a, a set way and a contrived way of creating. And I wanted to um, restructure the way I write tunes. You know, it doesn't have to have an eight-bar verse, and, you know, or a 16-bar verse and an eight-bar chorus, and then you have, you could possibly do a, a, a bridge, and then you go back to, you know, I wanted to play around with sound and play around with form, and, um, you know, my, their whole thing was, this is just your second album, you can't really create, and I'm like, huh? <laughs> <laughs> That sounds weird. Like, you know, my my whole reason for signing to uh, such a broad type of label, because Interscope, they put out so many different things, was to uh, be able to do that. But I guess because I initially just signed as a soul singer, you know, they kind of expected me to do that same thing. But, you know, I came in telling them that, you know, I was a, I was a weirdo. And I, <laughs> you know what I mean? I wanted to... Uh, I wanted to structure things differently and take it to another level, you know. The Sound of Young America is supported in part by VG Kids, printers of T-shirts and other merchandise for touring bands, radio stations, websites, festivals, derby girls, record labels, national brands, and all the rabble-rousers, hackers, and entrepreneurs in between. Online at vgkids.com. The Sound of Young America is returning to WNYC and the Jerome L. Green Performance Space on October 22, 2010. Join us for a night of comedy, music, and interviews at the beautiful new performance studio at WNYC. Find out more information about the lineup and ticket information as it becomes available online at MaximumFun.org. The Sound of Young America is proud to be a returning sponsor of the Seattle Sketch Fest in 2010. It's Seattle's premier comedy festival. It's happening October 7th, 8th, and 9th at the Theater Off Jackson in Seattle's International District. You know, when Sketchfest Seattle got started in 1999, it was the first sketch comedy festival in the country, and it's been operating continuously ever since. I've performed sketch comedy there and recorded The Sound of Young America there, and my experiences were absolutely wonderful. You'll see some of the best sketch comedy groups in the country all converging on Seattle for a festival that really is a blast. If you're a comedy fan in Seattle and you want to check it out, visit them online at sketchfest.org. That's Sketchfest Seattle 2010, October 7th, 8th, and 9th at the Theater Off Jackson in Seattle's International District online at sketchfest.org. Laugh Night is back. If you're in Southern California, join us for The Sound of Young America presents Laugh Night at ArtShare Los Angeles. Our second Laugh Night features stand-up comedy from a variety of comics recording their sets for The Sound of Young America. And the lineup includes comedy greats like Dana Gould and Maria Bamford, among others. Our second Laugh Night is Thursday, September 30th at ArtShare in downtown Los Angeles. You can find out more information and buy tickets online at MaximumFun.org. It's the Sound of Young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest on the program is uh, the jazz and soul singer Bilal. His second album is brand new. It's called Airtight's Revenge. Let's hear a little bit of the first single from Bilal's second album. It's called Restart. Seems like we said too much, drank too much. 
Let our emotions play out of touch. I'll go outside and watch it rain. I'll go outside and give it space. That was Restart from my guest Bilal's new album, Airtight's Revenge. So how was making this new album, uh, which is on an independent label, uh, different from the process of making that first album where you, you know, you were working with a sort of laundry list of, <laughs> of producers, brilliant producers, mm-hmm. but a laundry list nonetheless. Oh, man, this was totally different. One, because... I did the whole, pretty much the whole uh, record was recorded in a small room uh, studio uh, that my friend, uh, my drummer built. Nine years ago, it was just big studios with big consoles, um, uh, the actual tape, you know, that you recorded on, and... um, I've, I had a lot of fun back then because you, you were could, you were really recording analog. I mean, that was yeah, the that very was last analog. days Those of the, recording like, onto tape. Yes, like last days of an, analog was firstborn second. I, I remember that right around that time, uh, uh, Questlove from the Roots was like buying up tape <laughs> so that he would have a stockpile so that he could so he could record analog as long as he wanted. Yeah, because analog you can do um, you can do a lot of cool things like a lot of cool things that you really can't do on um, on digital like slow the tape down, um, morph your morph your voice, make it bigger, make it thinner, you know, which leads to experimenting a different way which was cool on this on this record because we didn't really, really didn't have time restraints you know because it was our own place like nowadays you can um you can make your own studio you know uh, uh most software you can get it for free you know now you know if you know the, the right avenues you know anybody can build a studio you know i mean I, we're recording in a studio in the back of my apartment right now yeah you know so this totally different time but it really lends itself to creativity you know so it was really cool doing this album totally different but totally experimental you know which is really cool well Bilal, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the sandy young america it was great to have you on the show well, thank you. It's good being here. Bilal's new album is called 
Airtight's Revenge. Uh, before we go, let's hear one more single from uh, the album. It's called Levels, and it's produced by Shafiq Hussein of uh, Past Sound of Young America guest, Sara Creative Partners. Yeah, I heard this one before.
That's our time for another Sound of Young America program. I have been your host, Jesse Thorne, America's radio sweetheart. The show is produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our music is provided by Dan Wally. Our associate producer is Julia Smith, and our editor is Nick White. You can find us online at MaximumFun.org, where you will find a free archive of all of our past shows, or pretty close to all of them. You can download them, stream them, get them for free in iTunes, whatever. Plus our other shows, like the comedy talk show Jordan Jesse Go, hosted by yours truly, or the comedy talk show Stop Podcasting Yourself, hosted by two friendly Canadian gentlemen. It's all free. It's all at MaximumFun.org. If you have thoughts about the show, you can email me directly, personally, at jesse at MaximumFun.org. Or you can comment in our discussion forums at forum.maximumfun.org. I think that's about all that needs to be said. We'll see you next time, right here on The Sound of Young America. The Sound of Young America is supported in part by Ask Metafilter. Thousands of life's little questions answered online at ask.metafilter.com.